Uh, I want you to think for just a second uh, a time uh, in your life, and, and if we were to think about it, probably you can think of, of many times in your life, if, if we're honest, in which you, you blew it. And what I say is you, you blew it, uh, and, and you immediately knew it, right? Like, uh, that may have been uh, on the way here this morning, right? It may have been uh, in conversations with loved ones. It may have been whatever, whatever it may have been. And we probably all, uh, if we thought about it, put our finger on several times. So when we kind of, we lost it, maybe you lost your temper, maybe you said something you regretted, maybe... Uh, whatever it is, something in that that you you feel that and immediately you know, like, oh, that was not good. That was not not the way to do that. Or, or maybe you can think back on times in your life where you, that was just so clear. Uh, I, I think of it. Um, maybe you've had this this happen. I'll, I'll confess, it's happened to me at, at least a few times where you're driving along and you pass a policeman and you immediately look at your speedometer and you go, oh no. And then you check the rear view mirror. Are they coming? Are they not coming? Because they would be completely just to be coming. And uh, I've had that where I look, and yes, they are, and yes, they come. <laughs> and they say, do you know why I've pulled you over? And I go, yes, I do. <laughs> I am aware of why, and you just know. Like, you get caught in it. And, or maybe you think back on your life when there's certain things like that. I mean, obviously, speeding and not making light of it is, is breaking the law, but maybe there's even something more serious than that, fuller than that, like real deep Difficult consequences. Huh. I remember being in high school and I had a friend uh, that went to my high school. He was a year older than me. And when I was a junior, he was a senior. And he and a friend of his went down and they were at a house that was being built. And they started a fire by this house. And they burned the house down. And I, I think, I didn't know him real well, but I always believed he didn't do it on purpose. I think it was kind of accidental. But they burned the house down, like a full under construction house. And he was 18 years old, and he got caught, and he ended up going to jail. He went from right before graduation to standing before a judge to going to jail. And I always thought, what would that feel like? In that moment when you get caught, and you know you did it, and they know you did it, and now you stand before a judge, that feeling of knowing you're guilty. And so I start there this morning because Paul's going to say here in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is, is blowing it. And knowing that you blew it. And that you deserve what you're getting in response to that. And so I want us to think about that idea this morning. You know, we say here at Coda, we want to be a gospel-centered church. Gospel means good news. Uh, we put it in the terms of, of what scripture says, the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. But we say we want to be a gospel-centered or a good news church. We want to be gripped by the truth of what Jesus has done. And what Paul says here in Romans chapter 8 is glorious good news. It is good news that is so wonderful that when we understand it, it, it is uh, life-changing. can lead to a joy that endures in all things. It is a beautiful thing what Paul says here in Romans chapter 8. I've been saying as we've been working, working our way through Romans that we get to Romans chapter 8, that's maybe the greatest chapter in all the Bible. I think you can make a strong case that it is because he says so many things in this chapter that are so wonderful. But today we're really just going to look at those first 11 verses and really focus on that verse 1 and kind of how he fleshes that out. And so verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the way I want us to think about it today. One, what does that mean? What is he really saying here in context of, of everything he said in Romans and this particular as he gets to chapter 8? What does that mean? What is he saying? 
And then when we come to what he's saying, when we think about that together, I think the next question that comes is, how is that possible? Because what he's saying is so full and so wonderful and so great that if we truly understand what he's saying, the next question is, how could that possibly be? How is that possible? And then the last thing I want us to consider is why and how, when we grip this and we understand this and we're coming to this, it changes us. How and why does God change us through this truth? And so that's the way we're going to look at this this morning. And so let's just start there in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We took a short break from Romans uh, over the last six weeks, and now we're coming back to it. And so there's a little bit of work we need to do just context-wise to get to an understanding of really what he's saying here. And so if we go back and we just talk about what Paul has been saying in Romans, condemnation means that we're guilty. That there are judgment against you, and you're guilty, and you know it. And so, like my friend in high school, and he gets caught, and he committed this crime, and he knows it. And he's condemned. There is judgment against him. And so, we too are the same before God, a holy, righteous God. And Paul makes, goes to great lengths to make this case in Romans. The first few chapters, 1, 2, and 3, he says that over and over again. That God is perfectly righteous and holy, and, and we are not. We have sinned. We have ignored God and the world he created. We have rebelled against him. And every single one of us stands before him guilty and without excuse. And Paul explains that in those first few chapters. He says even if you didn't grow up in the church or didn't grow up with the Bible, you know this to be true because your conscience bears witness that you're made in God's image and you know how you're supposed to act and react in certain things, and we don't do it. We, we violate our own conscience. He says, so even if you don't know God and you have not spent time in his word, and it, we have no excuse. He says, the creation bears witness. It shows us what God is like. Our conscience bears witness. Then he says, the word teaches us. God's word teaches us. And we see how we fail in so many ways of what God's word says. And so he says, we're all guilty. But then he says, it's so deep and so severe in our life the sin that we have, that we can't make ourselves right with God by what we do. We can't do enough works to balance those scales because God is perfect in every way. So he brings that to a culmination in chapter 3. And he says, no one, no human being will be justified in his sight by works of the law. Like you can't do it. You can't do enough to set yourself right because God is perfect in every way. But then he lays out the gospel at the end of chapter 3. You are saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for you. And you are now a new creation, and you are created to walk in a newness of life. You're saved not by your works, but what Jesus has done for you. So it's a transfer of trust. I'm putting my trust in what God has done rather than what I do. And we can really distinguish between walking in the flesh, right? Me walking in the flesh is thinking that I can do it and what I do. Believing that I can be my own Savior, that I can do enough works, that I can make decisions on my own apart from what God says. That's walking in the flesh, and we struggle with that. But then when we become a new creation, we now have the Spirit in us, and God has saved us, and we're seeking to walk by the Spirit, but there's a battle ongoing. And where we left off six weeks ago, when we kind of took this break in Romans, was in Romans chapter 7, as Paul's kind of fleshing that out for us. That we struggle to walk by the Spirit, and we go back to walking by the flesh, we walk in our old way of thinking, thinking it's all about us, rather than it being all about what God has done. And we struggle and so he says that in Romans chapter 7. We're, we're, we're struggling with that reality. And so he gets to the end of Romans chapter 7 and he says this. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. 
But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And he says there's this struggle ongoing in us. And I'm struggling to believe what is true and to walk by the Spirit. I'm struggling with this idea where I want to take the reins back and seek autonomy in and of myself and make it about what I do. And that ends badly every time. And he says, this thing's going on. And really what he's giving us is the struggle that we, we have in the Christian life. That yes, Jesus has saved us. And yes, it's by grace your faith. And yes, we're a new creation. But yet we still struggle with unbelief. And it's here that God speaks powerfully in Romans 8.1 when he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says this glorious truth. There is no condemnation. And I want us to really think what that means. That there's nothing against you. That God has got you completely in this. And we struggle with that idea. We struggle to believe that. right? Because we regularly blow it and know that we have. And so when we hear that and we know we deserve condemnation and we know we've blown it, but then we hear the truth of God's word that says there is no condemnation in Jesus, we go, it's hard for us. We want to go back to unbelief because there's always this, this, uh, this seed in us of it's all about what I do. We want to make it about me. That's my flesh. And so when I blow it, I want to believe that it's me who's making myself good before God instead of Jesus, and we struggle with that. And so I want us to think about what he's really saying. But there, there's one caveat here I, I want to say and make sure we're clear on. He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's in this context of this struggle, this, way, this war waging in us between our flesh and the spirit. But, but the clear uh, context here is that there is a battle waging between my flesh and my spirit. And we're wanting to follow God, but we're struggling with it. And so I would just say to you, if you have no struggle, right, you become a Christian and it's a life of continual repentance. Repentance is turning from my sin and turning to God. Transferring my trust from myself to Him and doing that over and over and continuing to throw myself on His mercy and it's all Jesus and it's not me and being reminded of that. But if there is no struggle with sin, you've embraced sin in your life and you continue in the same patterns and there's no struggle at all in any way. The Bible warns you and it says the evidence points to you're probably not a Christian. If there's no struggle at all, if there's none and you're just fine with your sin and living in it and there's no repentance and there's no continually coming back and you've just embraced it, the Bible says there's a warning there. And so I want us to understand the context of what he's saying. There is this struggle, and if there is no struggle, then you're probably not a believer. Now that doesn't mean Jesus isn't standing with open arms saying, come to me and confess and transfer your trust from yourself to me and he will save you. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved and he will meet you there. But if there is no struggle, there's a warning. But as you're struggling in that Christian life, and you do blow it, and you know that you've blown it, and you go through that. He speaks powerfully here that in Jesus there is no condemnation. It doesn't exist anymore. God's not angry at you. He's not suddenly like, 
Ah, I can't believe you did that. All the things that we think about. Oh no, I blew it and now he's angry and now he's going to get me. And ah, we, we go through those things and we blow it and we know it. And he says, that's not the case. Paul says, that's not the case. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I want you to think about what that means. And then we'll talk about how that's possible. And a professor years ago said, in Jesus, God loves you because he loves you. Period. I want you to really think about what that means. God loves you because he loves you. Not God loves you because you had a really good day today. Or, or God loves you because you got up early and you had your quiet time. Or God loves you because you came to worship today. No, God loves you because he loves you, period. And I used to think about that and go back to it. And the truth is I struggle to really believe that. To really rest in that truth. But, but I wrote this... Uh, years ago, and we use it from time to time in our uh, as we come to the table for communion. And I was trying to get my head around this idea. God loves you because he loves you. In Jesus today, you are loved and accepted completely and fully, and there is no increase or decrease of the Lord's love for you based on what type of week you had. God's love in Christ knows no increase or decrease, but only the complete and utter fullness of perfect love. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. God loves you because he loves you, period. That is really good news. And we struggle to believe that. But that's what Paul's saying here. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it a sec- second way. I read this this week, and this is John Piper says it this way. And I really love the way he says it. But he says, God is always for you in Jesus. He says, in Christ Jesus, all of God's action towards you is almighty mercy and omnipotent assistance. It is not mixed. It's not as if some days he's against you with wrath and those are the bad days. While other days he's for you with love and those are the good days. That is emphatically not the case and not the way to think about it. God is always for you in Jesus. Always. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we struggle to believe that. And so I want us to think about how is that possible? How can Paul say that? It is almost too good to believe. Too good to be true. How is that possible? And so look at what he says here. Pick up in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So I want you to just think about what he says here. If you look closely in verse 3, it says, God has done what the law we can, by the flesh could not do. And he says, by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And that goes very right to the heart of the gospel. Everything that we've said in Romans to this point. So I hear when I ask people, I meet people who will tell me they're a Christian, and they are, and I believe that they are. 
And I say, well, what does that mean? Tell me. They'll say, well, Jesus died for my sins. And I say, yes. And that's what Paul says. Jesus came and condemned sin in the flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's what we're going to celebrate at Christmas. I'm going to talk about it at Advent. The creator God of the universe takes on flesh. The incarnation he comes and he lives among us. And he lives a perfect sinful life, sin, sinless life. And he goes to the cross. And on the cross, it tells us that Jesus, that knew no sin, that never sinned in his life, became sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God. And so God allowed Jesus to take the sin of all those that would put their faith in him. All of it. If you put your faith in Jesus, past, present, and future, all your sins Jesus takes upon himself. And on the cross, he bears the wrath of God. He takes the condemnation that you and I deserve. And he empties it completely and fully and totally to where it is nothing. There's no wrath left for those that are in Christ Jesus. And he empties it. And so when people say that, whether or not they say all of that, that's what they mean. He died for my sins. And that is true. And that is right. And that is glorious. And it is wonderful. That he came and did for us by taking our sin upon himself. But if you notice, it says Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And he condemned sin in the flesh. He dies for our sin, not his own. He has no sin. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and that he's tempted in every way that we are. He goes through the things that we go through. He feels all the brokenness of the creation that is bearing under the weight of sin. Yet he does all of it without sin. And so sometimes we say, Jesus died for my sins. Yes. But there's another side to that same coin. And that is he then gives you his righteousness by grace through faith. He doesn't just wipe the slate clean and take all your sin away. He then gives you his perfect righteousness. So that you are perfectly righteous in the Father's eyes because of what Jesus has done. And so often I believe that we just take the first half. He died for my sins. And he gave me a clean slate. And now it's up to me to hold it all together. And then we blow it. And we know it. And we go, oh, now I'm condemned. And we want to do it all over again. And Paul says, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he didn't just die for your sins. He gave you his perfect work. He sees you as perfectly is. You're righteous in his eyes. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. Now I want you to think about how these pull together and why this is so important. Sometimes people will ask this question, and it's a good question. Maybe you've had this before. Why didn't God just forgive us? Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, God is God and he can do whatever he wants. If he's God, why didn't he just forgive us? Why go through all this stuff? And why send Jesus? And why did he have to... And the answer is because God is perfectly just. Sin has to be dealt with or God would cease to be God. He wouldn't be perfect in every way. He wouldn't be perfectly just. And so in his coming, God shows us his perfect justice. Sin is dealt with. But he also shows us his perfect mercy in Jesus as Jesus comes to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so in so doing, God shows us his perfect justice 
and his perfect mercy, and it comes together in Jesus. And so if you've put your faith in Jesus, he has paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. Now here's the thing that you need to see. We say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If Jesus has paid for all your sins, he's done it, and it's finished. And your sins are as far from the east to the west as they are from you. You can't have the condemnation of of God on you anymore because God would then not be just and he'd be paying for it twice. But in Jesus, it's already done and finished. There is no condemnation, none left for you because Jesus has taken it. And when we start to think that way, we are operating in unbelief and we're not seeing the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see the, the theological underpinning that holds this together? There is no more. It's gone. And he's taken it. And he's paid for it. And so I want you to then think about how this comes together on how and why this changes us. How God uses this in our life. Practically, what difference does this make when we understand the truth of God's word and what he says here? That he is always for you. That he is at work in all things. There is no condemnation. And so I want you first to think big picture. When we understand that Jesus has come to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, we're overwhelmed by the grace of God. We've all blown it. And we all know we've blown it. And we all know that we deserve condemnation. But in Jesus, he stands up and says, no, I've done that for you. And you're mine. And I have paid for that. And I've taken all of your mess. Every single bit of it, every sin, past, present, and future, and I paid for it the greatest price of his own life. And Jesus does that for us. And when we see that, it begins to melt our heart. It begins to change our affections that God loved us that much. That he would come to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. And by the grace of God, it begins to change us. As we see the glorious nature of his love and his grace towards us that are his, that he would go to such great lengths. And so what it does is it dispenses with this idea when we blow it of fear and cowering. And the, oh no, he's going to get me. No, 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 he's already paid for it. And he says that. And he begins to change the way we see him and his great love and mercy towards us and the way he loves us. Christ is always for you. Right? When you are in Jesus, God is always for you in every way. But what happens though, I want you to think about how this practically works out. As we struggle... Like Paul says in in chapter 7, and we're wrestling with my flesh and my sin. I don't do the things I want to do, and I go against it, and there's sin in my life. And I'm struggling with that, and I come back. How does this come to bear upon it? The Holy Spirit comes and lives with you and in you. You are united with God through what Christ has done. We are His. And He never leaves you, and He never forsakes you. But in our sin, God will bring conviction of sin. That's what I said at the beginning. The Christian life is continual repentance. Seeing those areas as God brings them to life. But here's the thing that you need to see. If God is always for you in all things, and he is, in Jesus, God is always for you. There's no increase or decrease of his love. It's fullness at every time. Or or the way Piper says it, his almighty mercy and omnipotent assistance is always for you. And so when you sin, God loves you so much that he convicts you of sin. He shows you that. And in our sinfulness, and our flesh, we want to take that and make that condemnation. Oh no, 
But that's not the way God works. It's precisely because He loves you that He brings those things to mind and He shows you your error and He convicts you of sin. Because He wants what's best for you. He's completely for you. And He knows you living in sin that goes against the way He created things and who you now are in Jesus will never be good. And He loves you too much to leave you in that. And it's not condemnation, it's precisely because he's for you that he shows you that. So he saves you into a community of believers where people will speak the truth and love to you. You go, hey, I don't think you're fully believing what God says. And we feel that sometimes as condemnation. Oh no, I'm not good enough. No, that's the Spirit of God working and showing you how great he is and how much he loves you and how he has so much better for you. There is no condemnation in Jesus. It's all for you. And when we understand that, there's this glorious thing that happens, that God loves us so much that he's not going to leave you in that. If you have children, you know this to some degree. However small it is. I was thinking about how Jesus says, you who are evil know how to give, give, give good gifts to your children. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, talking about us and our sinfulness, he says, how much greater will your father give good gifts to you? And he makes that, that statement, and I think about that. And I think about when my children sin, when they blow it and they know it, and they're feeling that, and they're seeing that. I've never once thought, get away from me, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. And that's me, a broken, sinful, evil person. And he says, how much greater is God? And I go, oh, that makes sense. See, when they, they blow it, and they know it, I want to go to them and look at them in the face and say, do you see why we so desperately need Jesus? And I always want to start there. Do you see right now when you feel it, you feel the condemnation and you know you've blown it, that you desperately need Jesus? But then because I love them and because I want their best, there's going to be consequences for their sin. If they've blown it and we go, okay, well this is what we're going to do. God in his infinite mercy and love for us brings consequences in our life. And he shows us those things. And it's not condemnation and he's not putting us away. He's teaching and correcting and showing us those things. And we mix it up with condemnation. It's not condemnation. It's because he's completely and totally for you in all things. And he loves you so much he's not going to leave you there. That he is at work to bring you to the fullness of what he created you to be in Jesus. And so when we see that, we can see correction in our life for what it is that God's for you. It's not condemnation. Those are attacks of the enemy when it says it's condemnation. Well, you're not good enough. Well, God must be angry at you. No, that's not true. He loves you completely and fully and totally. And he convicts us of sin because he loves us and he's for us. And then when we understand that, when we truly believe that and we start to grow in the reality of that, that he's always for you, that he brings conviction of sin precisely for those reasons, it leads to true repentance and confession. Instead of hiding and going, oh no, he's angry at me. I know he's for me. 
And I can confess, God, what are you teaching me in this? What am I not believing about you right now? Would you remind me what is true of you in my life? And then I would see that more fully and trust you all the more. True repentance would come not from fear that he's going to cast me away because he's not. But trusting that he is working in me for my sanctification, for my growth. And it leads to true repentance. And if we miss that, and we operate in fear, we operate making it all about me, it's exactly what he says here in verse 6. For the mind that on the for to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you understand what he's saying? If you set your mind on the flesh, it's believing things like, I blew it, and I now know it, and so I better get up tomorrow and pray an extra amount. And I need to read an extra chapter of my Bible and I need to do those things so that God's okay with me. Do you understand how that's setting your mind on the flesh? And don't mishear me. We are called to read our Bible. And we are called to seek Him in prayer. And it's how we know and grow in our relationship with Him. But when we're doing that so that I'm okay with God, do you understand how that's setting your mind on the flesh? In that scenario, who's your Savior? You blow it, and you knew it, and then you go, well, I better get to church, and I better read my Bible, and I better go to community group this week, and I better do all these things so that God's pleased with me. Who's your Savior? You are. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then God will be, ple- will be pleased with me. You're forgetting that Jesus has already done it all. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's his completely, totally his doing. He's for you in all things. And when you see that, we can come to the place of confession. I'm blown it. We can confess our sins to one another and remind each other of what is true of us in Jesus. That it's all his doing. And it sparks in us greater uh, growth and understanding that it's all Christ and him alone. Last thing here on how and why it changes us. Look at the very last part here, 9, 10, and 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, because of righteousness, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And just as because he is for you, he convicts you and he shows you and he brings those things to light, you are now uh, alive in the spirit and the spirit is life and he is at work in you. And I want you just to notice what he says here. In verse 11, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in you. All of God's power is now for you. And he dwells in you and with you and he's united you to the Father for what Jesus has done. And it's all here and he wants to use all of it for you. And I want you to think about the possibility of that. Of loving him and following him and walking in that truth. It's not what we can do. It's not about my power and my strength. But as I continue to point to him and see it's all his doing, there is nothing that God can't do in you. 
by his power and who he is and the way he loves you. And all of it is for you. Always. And when we understand and see that, it's not what we do, but what Christ has done. He's going to bring to fullness what he has started in you. There is glorious good news. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he is at work in you to do this. And it's all his doing. And so as we just start into Romans chapter 8, it actually just gets better and better. As wonderful as that truth is, he just continues to unfold. And we see the fullness of, of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And so would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you love us so much that you've done for us what we can never do. I pray for each one here today that at some time during this next week or, or months when we struggle to believe that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that you would overwhelm us with the glorious truth of what you've done for us in Jesus. That you would remind us that it's completely your work on our behalf. That we would continue to completely transfer our trust from ourselves to you. That we would live in light of that. That we'd be following you in all things. That we'd be seeing that you are our Savior. We are not our Savior. We thank you for the glorious truth of this. And we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.